Turret. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. In 1994, the New American Magazine had a cover story asking this question. What went wrong? Every year, our public schools turn out millions of young adults unprepared for the task of living responsibly in a free society, And the most alarming news is, it was planned that way. Now that may come as a surprise to you. It was planned that way. But if you go all the way back to the early beginnings of the public school system in our country, you might understand more clearly what was meant by that. It was planned that way. But going back earlier than that, on April 23rd, 1635, the first public school in what would become the United States was established in Boston, Massachusetts. It was known as the Boston Latin School, and it was boys-only public secondary school led by a schoolmaster, uh, Philemon Portmount, a Puritan settler. And it was strictly for college preparation. Well, that was in 1635. But if we move further, advance further down the line, we come across a fellow by the name of John Dewey. John Dewey and Horace Mann, both of them are credited with being the fathers of American public education. But John Dewey was probably the leader in all of them. One of the most significant men, according to Encyclopedia, arguably the most prominent American intellectual for the first half of the 20th century. That would be in the 1900s, 1800s rather. So, in his work, Seven Men Who Ruled the World from the Grave, David Brzee highlighted seven people who impacted the Western world toward a more secular worldview. Two men were obvious, Charles Darwin and Karl Marx. Darwin led Western civilization toward a less Christian, more naturalistic understanding of origins. Karl Marx birthed a more totalitarian regime. We're reeling from the effects of their flawed ideas to this day. Others' influence is less obvious yet still consequential, and one of those men is John Dewey, often referred to as the father of public education. Believe it or not, John Dewey was one of 34 signers of the Humanist Manifesto. Not the Communist Manifesto, but the Humanist Manifesto. He had a secular belief system. He believed that we could save ourselves through democracy. Perhaps that's why, in the same year, 1994, that the New American asked the question, what went wrong in public education, another article came out called, Brave New Schools Teach Global Spirituality. Oneness is the heart cry of global spirituality. Conspiratory educators and new age voices everywhere, students across the country pledging allegiance to the earth, singing anthems to a coming new age of peace, in stark opposition to biblical truth, celebrating a spiritual oneness that denies all religious barriers. Educators who push global spirituality have taken cue for the world's occult teachers and prophets. In light of the world's collapsing structures, their noble sentiments and hopeful promises sound good to people who have rejected Christ. 
And that's exactly the idea that Darwin, not Darwin, but uh, uh, John Dewey had in mind. He had in mind that if they could just, through public education, corral the American young people, they could create a kind of world order, a secular world order, that would be wonderful and glorious, get rid of all that religion stuff, and uh, we're just going to have a glorious, democratic world order. Well, now, all of it's moving forward to a global world order being promoted within our public schools and even more so within our universities. Today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about, in fact, our guest says we're going to be pulling back the curtain on public education. Now, when you pull back a curtain, it reveals what's behind the curtain. To a certain extent, we've just revealed that going back a little bit in history. But we're going to take a look from a more visceral, experiential standpoint today on Viewpoint. And so I'm glad that you've joined us. This conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Our special guest today, John Stamper, is a teacher. Well, at least he was a teacher. Well, he is and was and is to come always a teacher. He says he's conflicted, or at least many people are conflicted, because, you see, we have to make a decision. Are we going to continue to subject our young people as professing Christians to a godless, deterministic kind of educational system that is intent on wreaking havoc with everything that is foundational to the Christian life and to biblical principles? Or are we going to make other decisions that will at least provide a hedge against uh, this kind of tyrannical educational system? That's where our guest comes in today. John Stamper, it's good to have you on the program from not-so-jolly-old Chicago. Well, thanks for having me, Chuck. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Well, Chicago is called the Windy City. How is it today? It's actually beautiful. It's about 70, and it's sunny, and uh, this is about as good as it gets here in Chicago. Well, the politics haven't been all that good there. No, unfortunately, it looks like it's going from bad to worse, but... uh you know, praying for God's protection over us and the city and praying for things to turn around at some point. Well, you and I uh, have a lot of things in common in the sense that we were both public school teachers and uh, you are married to a litigation attorney, a trial attorney. I was a trial attorney for 20 years in California And so we have the law and the education to bring together here at the table. That's pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And fun fact, my wife's parents also pastor a church. So it's kind of like my whole family is wrapped up in you there, Chuck. It's like (laughs) my whole family put together. Well, we we just might have even more things in common because what you did not know probably is that – Our experience early on in education, by the way, I have served on the board of a Christian day school in its founding, a Christian elementary school, the prominent Christian elementary school in the San Gabriel Valley in California, and then also of a renowned Christian university. So I have a lot of experience in the area of Christian education, but also nine years as a public school teacher. So... 
I have a, a conviction, John, that God gave me those experiences, all of them, in order to help me to be able to be prepared more effectively to do what we do here on the air uh, here in uh, right out of Virginia that airs across the country and around the world. So uh, this is a this is not just some isolated thing we talk about here, but it's deeply enrooted in my mind and heart, our family, and also in yours as well, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. Um, my background was in homeschooling. I was homeschooled half of my upbringing. And the reason I was homeschooled was uh, so that my parents could give my siblings and me a a biblical foundation. Well, we'll get back to that after this break. We're going to have to break. Friends, this wonderful book, Conflicted, uh, $14 is going to put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. You want to stay tuned. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The year was 1985. Our oldest daughter, Nicole, had uh, gone through Christian school, uh, elementary school, a school that I was on the board of, and uh, then she was heading into high school. And so we enrolled her into the renowned Christian high school in that area, and she began attending there. Within a year, she came to us and said, Mom and Dad, I don't think you really want me to go to this school. And we said, why? She says, well, the teachers actually uh, really are very worldly. She said, you'd be shocked at what they talk about and uh, what they represent and what they seem to stand for. But she said, even more so, the kids, many of them coming from prominent Christian families and big churches in our, our city, they're talking about their abortions. They're talking about their uh, wild parties. They're talking about uh, how they're going to be divorced two and three times before the end of their lives. She said, Are, do you really want me in that environment? And that precipitated a decision on our part. If our daughter was actually seeing this happening in a Christian school, What in the world was going on in the public school? And so we pulled her out, and we began the homeschooling venture, which at that time was considered a somewhat risky business, because many were saying it was illegal. But we did anyway, because we felt that our responsibility before God was greater than our responsibility to whatever legalities there were out there. And so we began to homeschool her. We homeschooled our other two daughters. And uh, so that is the background. But at the in the meantime, having graduated from college, a Christian college, in 1967, right at the beginning, of, right in the, in the Vietnam War, the government was desperate for math teachers. 
And I was one day late signing up for law school. So I had to make a living. I had to do something. And so I became aware that a particular school district was looking for a math teacher. So I applied. And through that, ended up teaching math for four years. Until I went to law school and then began as a coach for another five years. So I spent nine years as a public school teacher in the most transitional period of American education when everything was being turned on its head. That's my experience. Our guest today, John Stamper, didn't have that experience, but he did teach school. And uh, where did you teach school, John? Most of my career was in Indiana, uh, elementary education, but Mm -hmm. I, I did spend my last year of teaching with Chicago Public Schools. That was right in the height of COVID 2020, 2021, uh, when we were doing, you know, remote learning, virtual school. Well, the interesting thing is that uh, in the early 1970s, some dramatic things were taking place in public education. In fact, we were required uh, to go to special uh, training sessions on the weekend, and it was called the Encounter Movement. The purpose of the encounter movement was to train us to begin to change thinking according to a new system. And here's how it went. You could not address people in terms or your students in terms of facts or opinions anymore. You just had to say, I feel. Everything was now about feelings. So when Joe Biden 40, 50 years later, said we believe in truth, not facts. What he was really saying is we believe in feelings, not truth. That's what he was really saying. But all of that was set forth there in the early 1970s in Southern California. It metastasized across the world, even in our churches, so that feelings became the final arbiter of truth everywhere. It's amazing how things happen and for some reason, God gave me the ability, the the opportunity to see the very root of it, how it took place, and be able to talk about it here today. So here you were, a teacher, some 40 years later, and how did you experience this in the public school? Well, I also experienced it through teacher training. Um, this was during, you know, virtual school remote learning, and you would you would have thought that we'd be getting trained on you know, how to manage a remote classroom, you know, helpful strategies. But instead, we were taught about, you know, gender ideology and critical race theory. You know, uh, classmates were made out to be enemies of each other. and Colleagues were made out to be enemies of each other based on, you know, these teacher trainings. Wow. What a dramatic change from the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And you know what? I got to tell you. Uh, in all honesty, uh, I grew up in the public schools uh, in across the country, actually, from California to uh, M- Michigan to uh, uh, Kansas, and then also to Florida. I went to 26 different schools. And uh, the reality is I felt I got an, a superb education. We didn't have any of this kind of nonsense going on. How did it all change, John? 
Well, uh, I can only speak from uh, my experience, and uh, kind of like you, I felt like I had a great education. You know, half of that was homeschooling, and then I did go to public schools. But uh, uh, it was things are kind of done behind the curtain, as I like to say, or, you know, for so long, parents didn't know what was going on. They would hear things like, oh, communism in schools, get out of here, that's too far-fetched. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the content and the, the tactics that are used to implement these political ideologies, they've been done before. It's been used before, right? particularly, you know, throughout the 20th century where we saw, you know, the rise of communism, you know, around the world. Uh, the tactics that were used in those education systems parallel, you know, what we're seeing in our current education system. So I, I think the more that, you know, I can sound an alarm or we can sound an alarm and just make people aware, parents and teachers will have, you know, more information to make, you know, choices moving forward on how to educate their children or like teachers like me, you know, how to move forward in your career. Well, a lot of people would say, well, this matter of uh, homeschooling, that, that's just too tough. That's too far out there. Uh, but the reality is that homeschooling has been growing now dramatically. Uh, I printed out a variety of different statistics uh, concerning just the last year or two, and it seems that homeschooling has been growing by about 6% each year. And uh, about 3.5 million uh, children in the United States now are homeschooled. So something is happening there, uh, but it's a it's a tough thing because people say, well, I'm not capable of teaching or uh, this is just too hard for me. I have to work. Now, my eldest daughter, who uh, when she graduated from college, uh, she was going to be a lawyer. She was going to be a lawyer like her father. She had worked in my law office. She was brilliant. Uh, she could have easily been a lawyer. And uh, But then she made a decision. She said, no, I believe that God most wants me to raise my children. So she chose not to go to the law school and to raise her children and homeschool them. So it, it requires a very serious decision, doesn't it? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I made the decision... Um it took me, I wrestled with it for months. You know, here I was in a career I had taught for 13 years. I was also uh, involved in coaching for 13 years. And this was my career. I worked very hard to get to this point, And it's not something that you can walk away from easily. But um, thank God, you know, I had a supportive wife and I finally made that decision. But to go back to your point about homeschooling and making those hard decisions, um when my parents made the choice to homeschool my siblings and me, I'll always remember why they made that decision, right? I don't know many school projects that I did when I homeschooled. I can't remember a lot of the assignments that I had, but mm-hmm. I always will remember why they homeschooled my siblings and me. And that was to prioritize the Word of God <clears throat> um, and to start us off on a firm foundation. Uh, you may not remember, but um, in the early 90s, the Indiana Supreme Court ruled on a case involving my little hometown in Indiana. Really? Uh, the Gideons, had, yeah, the Gideons had always um, come to the local schools and for one day, one you know, one day a year, and they offered little Bibles to any fifth graders who would want them. And mm-hmm. other groups came into you know, 4-H things like that. Right. It was just a long-standing tradition. But um, uh, the school was sued by a parent who said, 
hey, this violates, you know, separation of church and state and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So um, it actually went to the Indiana Supreme Court, and the Indiana Supreme Court ruled in favor of the plaintiffs. So they said the Gideons can no longer distribute Bibles. And that was the decision that led my parents to homeschooling us. That was in like 91, 92. Uh-huh. Um, kind of a wild story, but you can jump in anytime you want. But Well, let me... So in let response me, to this, this... Go ahead. Go ahead. Let me well, let me we'll connect the dots here just a moment because ninety two and ninety three, I have discovered were the major fulcrum years for this country. It was in ninety two that uh, Newsweek and Time all contained cover stories saying how the American dream unraveled, the fraying of America, and so on. Those kinds of headings, in fact. Uh, also, in 1992, I believe it was, Forbes magazine devoted its 75th anniversary edition to asking the question, whatever happened to virtue in America? So, 92-93 were the key fulcrum period uh, in our country, and after that, everything went downhill. Everything. Including our churches. Yeah. It's just, it's amazing right. to look at this. And you began your homeschooling there. Uh, your parents began homeschooling you right about that time. That's right. All right, 91, 92. And uh, I think you'll appreciate this. So kind of speaking to the parents who are wrestling with the decision to homeschool, you know, or not saying, ah, oh, it's too difficult. I can't do it. I'm not qualified. Um, so my parents, when they decided to homeschool my siblings and me, my mother wrote a letter, a simple letter to the editor of our small town newspaper hmm. saying that, you know, the, the absence of the Bible leads to moral decay. And she cited that, you know, the principal text in America for generations was the Bible. But since the removal of the Bible, you know, we've seen rises in uh, divorce rates and violence and suicide, depression, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just urged people to continue to pray for our, our nation, our, our, our leaders, etc., well, it turns out that my mom's letter to the editor was public was published uh, in the Associated Press coming out of New York City. Really? And yeah, the Phil Donahue show got a hold of her, her article and invited her and my dad uh, to come on the show and debate Madeline Murray O'Hare. <laughs> I remember Chuck. Yeah. Wow, what a story. Yeah, so for those who may not know Madeline Murray O'Hare, she was the founder and president of the American Atheist which was the most well-known atheist group in America at the time, and she was the most well-known atheist in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. So my parents went on to the show kind of to stand in opposition to Madeline Marie O'Hare. And, uh, you know, there, my dad was an iron worker. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. They're just regular people mm-hmm. working hard trying to raise four kids. So they were very intimidated, you know. And I'm sure. So they were in the crowd, and the crowd was all supporters of, you know, O'Hare atheist supporters. And, right. Um, so during the taping of the show, Miss O'Hare said, you know, how Christians, you know, didn't like her and, you know, they really hadn't done much for society anyway. And, um, but then, you know, my dad got a chance to speak and it was, he was the last one to speak with just a few minutes left. And, uh, he stood up to speak and he said, you know, Miss O'Hare, I'm a Christian and I don't hate you. In fact, I love you and Jesus loves you. And he went on to basically give her a little gospel message about how, you know, Jesus had saved his life and taken him out of a life of sin and alcoholism and just turned it around. And, you know, he could do the same for you. And so you had this 
couple, my parents, just regular people, mm-hmm. being obedient to the leading of the Lord, and got onto national television and basically delivered this gospel sermon to the most powerful atheists in America. And, um, but to me, as a child, I'm five, six years old at the time, I, I have very few memories, but here I am, 37 right now, I just went through a similar experience with Chicago Public Schools where, you know, I had to make a decision based on my Christian faith, my convictions, mm-hmm. right? I was being asked okay, how so? That. Well, my employer, Chicago Public Schools at the time, they were asking me to, um, you know, adopt policies such as, you know, using preferred pronouns and mm-hmm. affirming transgender students that... Um, conflicted with me. All right, I want you to hold the rest of your explanation until after this break. Our guest today, John Stanford, with his book, Conflicted. Friends, you're going to find this book fascinating. $14 on our website, saveus.org. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Such a privilege to be able to join you here on Viewpoint today. Day after day after day. It's almost 28 years now. Next month, it'll be 28 years. Our special guest today, John Stamper, with his book, Conflicted, Pulling Back the Curtain on Public Education, uh, $14. We'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Write a check at $5 for postage and handling. Are you conflicted, my friend, out there? Maybe so. A lot of people are conflicted, and they're becoming more and more conflicted because they realize that their children are being destroyed morally and spiritually in every way, and even in terms of their physical well-being. Stretched, confronted, perhaps even attacked. Our guest today, John Stamper, was just sharing with us uh, how he was making this transition from being a teacher there in Chicago public schools and uh, deciding to make a change and what broke that down. So tell us the rest of the story, John. Right. So I was I was telling the story about, uh, you know, what led my parents to make the decision to homeschool us. And, right. Uh, so I told about the, the Bible being removed um, from schools in Indiana in 1991-92. But, you know, you fast forward. 30-some years later, and here I was in Chicago Public Schools uh, being told to use preferred pronouns, uh, affirm transgender identities, and, you know, to view myself as privileged and oppressive toward, you know, my colleagues and my students uh, with this intersectionality training. But 
so I, I was wrestling, you know, as a Christian, I, I, I viewed, you know, affirming students with the transgender identity, I viewed affirming, affirming them as lying to them. Mm-hmm. So I had a conflict, uh, you know, sure. uh, and I wrestled with it. It wasn't hard. I'm invested in my career. So it's like, well, if I don't do what my employer asked me to do, I could get in big trouble. If I do what they're asking me to do, I, I kind of violate my conscience and my faith. So, and get in big trouble um, with God. Have, <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, which would you rather have? Right. But my point is, the parents, hopefully it's an encouragement. I remembered what my parents did when I was a child. Mm. They prioritized the Word of God. They modeled for me and my siblings to be faithful to His Word and to His leading. That was the priority. Okay, so, uh, and that's something I... That is the one thing I remember from my childhood, right, from my homeschooling experience. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I had that example, that godly example from my godly parents to, to fall back on. Um, so my point is to parents, if you're in a similar conflict or struggle right now, because there's plenty to be conflicted about in schools right now, know that you matter. Parents matter and that your kids are watching and what you do uh, matters to them. They'll remember why you're making the choices that you make. So hopefully that's an encouragement to parents out there, you know, to make prayer uh, decisions moving forward. Well, sure. And let's talk about the matter of uh, uh, the intellect. Let's talk about the matter of scores and grades and so on. Uh, I have in front of me a report that shows that uh, the difference in standardized tests between Kids who have gone, who have been homeschooled, and those who have come from public schools, the difference is somewhere between thirty and forty percent on the main subjects that are supposed to be part of our schooling. Thirty to forty percent different. That is, the homeschoolers achieved thirty to forty percent higher scores on standardized tests. Now, that alone would seem to uh, account for something, wouldn't it? Yeah, I agree. I mean, you can you can pick just about any metric, and you know, homeschoolers are going to outperform their public school peers uh, in virtually every metric that there is. But you know, as a public school teacher, and you were too, um, I don't want to totally just disparage the work of teachers. You know, no. teaching is a great profession, but sure. But I can speak from my personal experience as a homeschooler. You know, I had three older siblings, and we were all done with our work in less than two hours every day. You know, we started at 8 a.m. We were done by 10. So the point is, you can get a lot done in a short amount of time. And when we all we all did eventually go back to public school, we tested at or above grade level. Uh-huh. So just another encouragement to parents that, um, you know, you can, you can do it, and you can do it in, I think, shorter amount of time than you might think. Well, because um, there's so much filler, just like so many of the prepared foods. There's so much filler in the foods uh, that it's replacing right. the real food. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, this is coming from a, a public school teacher of 13 years. There is a lot of filler. You know, there's a lot of time throughout the day that could be better spent, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I do believe that teaching yeah. is a very honorable profession. And uh, I, I took teaching seriously during those nine years. Uh, I invested myself uh, significantly uh, just just to give people an idea, uh, one young lady who uh, my very first year in teaching was in my first year algebra class. It was the first year that that school district had launched algebra in the eighth grade. Uh, 
And uh, this was back in 1967. And I had to call that young lady to task, bring her mom in, because she was a brilliant, brilliant student, but her attitude left a lot to be desired. So I brought her in, and we had this little, uh, you know, moment of truth of the value decision kind of conversation. And after that, that young lady just performed amazingly. And you're not going to believe the rest of the story. Well, maybe you will. For 20-some years after she graduated, she sent me birthday cards on my birthday. Then one day, I was there in my law office and opened my mail, and there in front of me was a an answer to a complaint that I had filed, complaint meaning a lawsuit, and whose name should be on it but that former student. She was going to be my opposing counsel. <laughs> so, wow. You know, the influence that we can have, <clears throat> uh, we just do not realize the influence that we can really have. And I, so I, I do acknowledge the public school influence. However, there comes a point when you have to ask yourself, should I obey God or should I obey men? And that's what you had to face, right? They were trying to get you to tell to convince students of something, things that were unbiblical, untrue, and destructive to society. Absolutely. That's the conflict that I, you know, was telling you about. Um, it's not an easy decision. It's not easy when, no. you know, before that point, going into teaching and going into teaching for Chicago Public Schools, I accepted that job prayerfully. I had spent time praying and seeking God. Is this where I should go? So I believe I was where I was supposed to be mm-hmm. during this. So take that into consideration. It's like, surely I can't just leave. I feel like God led me here. Right. So I was. it was a real spiritual conflict. Well, maybe he you know, led not, you there so that you would have to deal with that conflict. You'd have to make a decision by faith. And that's brought you on the radio. You see? That's what I believe looking back, right? That's uh, That's... I believe faith, not to tout myself, but, sure, you know, we have to do things not knowing what the future holds um, in obedience to the Lord because he's faithful. He's never failed. He's never failed me. So I have every reason to trust in the Lord. And um, so I think that's just a simple encouragement I can give to teachers and parents out there. Sure. So, John, how many kids do you have? We don't have any children yet. We're hoping and praying for that to change. Okay. All right. So, but but you were homeschooled, and now you left. You actually resigned your position as a teacher, a public school teacher in Chicago. That's right. Now, what are you going to do? Well, um, for the last two years since I resigned, I've been creating uh, courses for homeschoolers through a company called Masterbooks. Uh-huh. Uh, it's actually something I started during COVID when schools closed down. I I launched a website and put all of my courses online and started selling them around the country because everyone was stuck at home. Uh-huh. Um, so, so, in other words, God into, is using all of these experiences redemptively now to give you a nut. He's opening up 
your life purpose to a broader audience? Um, you could say that. You know, I certainly did not envision myself, you know, writing a book or doing mm-hmm. radio interviews. I was a teacher and a coach. That's, you know, that was my sweet spot. That's what I knew. Well, you know, I was a teacher and a um, coach, too. And now I've written 10 books. Right. <laughs> we just don't know yeah. how God works. He moves things in ways that are beyond our comprehension. But as my wife and I look back on our 56 years of marriage, we see the hand of God as he has moved and placed things, choices that we've had to make and so on, that have led us to be able to do the things that we do now. Right. And, you know, I, this is the kind of message that, you know, I think children need to hear, you know, you know, not the confusion of gender and uh, critical race theory and things like that. Right. It's that a faithful God loves you, cares for you and wants to know you and wants you to know him. So there, there is an alternative to all this ideology out there, all the, you know, political ideology. There is an alternative uh, in the word of God, you know, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ and a loving savior you know, wants to have a personal relationship with these children. I want to ask a couple of other questions here. Now, you don't have any children, but we had we had uh, three, and we now have 11 grandchildren. Uh, the oldest of those grandchildren are now 20, 23, 25, 27, and 29. The youngest, the two youngest, uh, of those four are in engineering school and will graduate next year. They were homeschooled. They were never in public school. Their sister, who is a couple of years older, is a nurse. Very successful nurse, by the way. Their father is a nurse practitioner and is deeply respected, almost like a doctor. And their older brother is now an ER surgeon. It's unbelievable. How could such a thing be from homeschooling? We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. Today we're talking with uh, John Stamper from Chicago. He's written a, a very fascinating and important book called Conflicted, Pulling Back the Curtain on Public Education. He was a public school teacher. I was a public school teacher for nine years. 
and uh, each of us served as a coach. Uh, those were very important uh, times. In fact, John, I tell you, uh, many people call me a coach today. Spiritual coach. Yeah. But I use exactly the same operation as I did in coaching kids. Right. I, I always looked at teaching and coaching as going hand in hand. Exactly. Uh, one discipline helps the other, and uh, they work together very well. Yeah. So here's here's a situation. A lot of people will say, well, you know, uh, you can't, if, if you're homeschooling, your kids aren't going to get uh, proper socialization. What say you? Um, I would say that's a common misconception. Um, there are many examples, but you look at the culture of public schools today, it is not a positive culture. Yeah, Is that Some the kind of socialization the, you want for your kids? Right. Some would say, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the point. Yeah, <laughs> right. That way. But, I, you know, many examples. I mean, there are homeschool groups. There are travel sports. You know, there are music lessons. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think what people forget is it's a good thing when children are around their parents or around their grandparents or aunts and uncles, people of an older generation that they can learn from and not just peers all the time. So um, you're not doing a disservice to your children, you know, like we just talked about mm-hmm. by virtually every metric homeschoolers outperform their public school peers. But there are ways that, uh, you know, children can interact that don't require our public school. Well, obviously, because you've already said, you've already said that uh, the uh, formal educational part of the homeschooling can be accomplished in a third the time uh, that they're going to spend in the public school. So now what are you going to do with the rest of the time? Well, they're going to be able to learn certain skills. They're going to be able to uh, uh, engage in in things that are going to take time, maybe uh, music, maybe uh, uh who, who knows? Independent research, looking into things that really inspire them. Uh, I know of a number of homeschool families that uh, actually got their kids involved in uh, uh, various productions. And uh, I'm not talking about uh, manufacturing production. I'm talking about, you know, like uh, uh, acting uh, I'm talking about things where the kids could be involved in bigger issues, also serving in other areas. It's amazing what homeschoolers could do, that their time is not completely overrun by the mandate of a godless system. I would agree, and of course I was homeschooled before you know the internet and smartphones, but you know, growing up in the country, we had we had trees to be chopped down, sticks to be picked up, grass mm-hmm. to be cut. You know, we would go help my grandma cut her grass. We were involved in church. We had church groups, and we had a big family. We, you know, so we were always on the move, always busy. And that's a credit to my parents for their creativity. But we learned, you know, a work ethic. Mm-hmm. We learned how to, you know, be involved in church and, you know, to be there for family members and to, you know, offer a helping hand. So we learned many lessons frankly, aren't being taught in public schools uh, that we learned homeschooling. Well, it gave me an opportunity with regard to those four older grandchildren that I'm talking, that was, was talking about 
uh, I was able to train them, uh, especially the uh, the fellows, train them in uh, horticultural issues. Uh, I happen, you know, landscaping and so on is kind of a hobby for me, and I know a lot about it uh, ever since I was ten years of age. You know, and so I was able to train them. Uh, in things and skills and understanding that they would have never, ever had before. Also, in you were talking about the work ethic. So one of the things that I was able to inculcate into them is this little phrase, a job well done and with care exempts itself from fear. Well, guess what? Every single one of my grandchildren, if I start saying a job, well, they'll finish it. They'll finish it. It's so relevant in their lives that now it's transferred into every other aspect of their studies, their lives, and so on. That's the kind of impact that we can have if we have the time available to do it, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, you're, we're talking about all kinds of benefits here. We talked about prioritizing the Word of God, you know, raising your children up in the, in the ways of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like, exposing your children to all kinds of different talents and hobbies. But also, let's not forget, you know, the homeschooling can strengthen the family. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's really under attack in our public schools right now. The undermining of parents is becoming so blatant and just so out in the open. It's uh, outrageous. That to me, is, it's unbelievable how parents are being undermined and the family unit is being attacked and, you know, destroyed. So that is one huge huge benefit of homeschooling. Well, that's why my longtime friend, uh, Dr. Jim Dobson, uh, uh, has gone on the air over and over again and said, you've got to get your kids out of this, uh, these public schools because they're, they're godless engines of inculcation of wickedness uh, in, the, in their lives. You've got to get them out. Now, I'm going to mention this, um, and I've seen this happen. Arguing for church schools, but the same kind of argument has to do with public schools. People will say, well, I want my child to be an evangelist, to go into the public school and be an evangelist. Well, I'm here to tell you, my friend, They're evangelizing your children. Your children are not evangelizing them. They are evangelizing your children. That's the bottom line of it all. Your children are not primarily an evangelistic tool, just like your marriage is not supposed to be an evangelistic tool. No. Our children are to be trained up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's foundational. Anything further you'd like to add, John? Uh, I would agree with your statement there. Um, um, One thing that I I guess I would say is that if you are feeling stuck in the public school and you're not quite sure yet if you can homeschool, um, to at least pay, pay close attention to these special programs that go on in schools, you know, the Gay Pride Week and um, the Transgender Day of Visibility. These special programs that schools host throughout the year are what students get most excited about. 
And this is where a lot of the indoctrination is taking place because mm-hmm. it's not part of the curriculum, not part of the state standards, but this is what the students really latch onto because guess what? We don't have to do math or history today because right. we're going to some school assembly to learn about transgender day of visibility. So and, it, and they think, at last I have a purpose. I can represent this purpose, and I can go out and sell it, and I'm going to do it with a vengeance. And uh, unfortunately, that's what's picked up the mind and heart of our young people today. They have lost yeah. the sense that their life in Christ is a real purpose. Yeah, I, I, you kind of touched that it uh, touched on it at the very beginning of the show that there's there's no neutrality. You know, schools wanted to remove the Bible to kind of stay you know neutral on religion, and that's not going to happen. Look at where we are today. So, yeah, um, you know, you're not going to have a neutral uh, environment for your children. If you remove the Word of God, something else is going to take its place. And you know, I think we're experiencing that right now. Well, John, as we always say here on this program, viewpoint determines destiny. There are no neutral viewpoints. Our viewpoint concerning education is not neutral. The decisions that we make are coming from our viewpoints. They're coming from our thinking. And uh, what God wants to do is enable us to uh, gain dominion in our own minds and hearts so that we can truly raise up children that will honor the Lord in every aspect of their lives. So even if they're in public school, then as a parent, we have got to get serious about training them. I'm not talking about sending them to church. I'm talking about training them in the ways of the Lord in our home. That's our job. That's the number one job we have. That's far more important than taking him to the ball game, far more important than getting him off to the, the football game or the soccer game or the uh, you know music lesson or whatever. Those things are fine. But they cannot replace the most fundamental element that we are charged with as parents. And we're going to be, when we stand before God, John, I'm concerned that an awful lot of professing Christian parents are going to wince when they hear what God has to say. Uh, I think you're right on the money. And I think we can point to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5, 6, 7. Absolutely. Which I think kind of sums up, sums up, you know, the parental role in terms of education. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. And these words which I command you this day will be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Mm-hmm. When you're sitting in the house, when you're walking in the way, uh, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So everywhere, everywhere you go, throughout the entire day, we should be um, teaching children diligently to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and might. And that's the role of parents, and uh, I think it all boils down to that. How does your uh, your wife feel about your conviction here? Well, I mentioned it earlier. If, if not for my wife, you know, I I don't know what decision I would have made. She she comes from a Christian home, and mm-hmm. we are like minded in our faith, and mm. so we prayed together about it, and uh, she was supportive. She she agreed that you know what was being pushed in the schools and you know pushed on the children was not doable, not sustainable, and. Uh, she encouraged me to kind of follow the Lord's leading. Um, so well, that's she wonderful. Is more, she's more bold than I am, I would say. Whoa. Well, that's why she's a trial lawyer, brother. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Valedictorian of her law school class, I might add. Are you kidding me? She's You've got one right. brilliant uh, young lady there uh, as your wife. That's right. 
Wow. I do. Well, she can plead a cause like nobody's business, can't she? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, we got together. I had to kind of set the terms of, you know, when we have a little discussion because uh-huh. she'll just show how smart me every time. You know. <laughs> That's a challenge for a husband. <laughs> yeah. No, she's very fair. She's she's wonderful. That is so such a wonderful testimony there. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us here on the program today to talk about this matter of public education, this matter of uh, homeschooling, and uh, we shared a lot here today, both from information standpoint, from uh, a biblical standpoint, from our experience standpoint in so many different areas. We brought it all together. Yes, you may be conflicted, my friend, but you have to resolve the conflict. That's why God has you in this position right now. God allows these conflicts in our minds and hearts to come there so that we have to make a decision. That's why it's there. And when we make a decision that honors him, you don't know where that's going to lead. John didn't know that that was going to lead him to write curriculum to be published for homeschools. He didn't know that. I have not known exactly where all these things would lead. I did not know that I was going to be doing a radio program to plead God's cause on so many different areas of our life now today with regard to education of our children. But God allows these experiences to carry out his purposes. And they begin with resolving a conflict that comes into our minds and hearts. Sometimes we call that conviction. Hmm. Get a copy of this wonderful book, Conflicted, Pulling Back the Curtain on Public Education. $14, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, PO Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Become a partner with us, friends. Do it today. Don't delay. This is very important what we're doing, confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 